Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where that's what we talk about. I'm a registered nurse with a bunch of years in the labor and delivery department. I'm the author of the books, The Complete Illustrated Birthing Companion, Common Sense Pregnancy, and Mom's Side of the Story, all of which you can find information about over on my website, jeanfaulkner.com. Yeah, I know, it's a hard name to spell. I've lived with it my whole life like this, J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. You can also, um, over there on the website, you can find information about my other gig where I coach writers to get their books out of their heads and out into the world. And I've been coaching writers for years now because it's hard. It's really hard when you've got a great story idea to get it out of your head. I mean, we're busy. We're busy people. And it's it's hard to... Um, take these ideas and make them a real thing in the world, a book or an article or whatever. Um, turns out I'm pretty good at it though. And I've been coaching writers for years and many of my clients go on to get big book deals and write really unique and fascinating books. And that's why I love it. It's just so great to encourage that kind of creativity. Recently, I teamed up with my friend and client, Rosie Acosta, and she was here on the podcast a few weeks back, or maybe it was back in January. Time's going so fast these days. Um, Rosie is a globally known yoga and meditation instructor. She's a writer. She's a podcaster, a speaker, and the founder of You Are Radically Loved. And she and I created an e-course together that's part meditation, part yoga, and a whole lot of coaching on how to get your ideas out of your head and onto the page. Um, I want you guys to head on over to my website, jeanfogner.com, and find out more about it. It's a real cool thing, and we're really excited about all the great writers and new writers who are taking advantage of the course. It's just, it's fabulous. We love it. And I really can't wait to read what they're writing. I'd love to be able to help you too. I'd love for you to be able to write your story. I know you've got one. So anyway, here we are heading into week seven of quarantine during the coronavirus. I'm hanging in there. I hope you are too. I hope you and yours are healthy and well. Um, This week, I want to talk to a pediatrician about the coronavirus and how parents and kids can get through it in a healthy and memory-making way. Um, You know, I think that this is going to be one of those historic events where we really look at the way a global event impacts a generation. And coronavirus is definitely going to be making that kind of an impact. So I wanted to talk to a pediatrician this week about that. Um, Also, the American Academy of Pediatrics released new home birth guidelines this week. Now, they're still not big fans of home birth. They're, um, they think the safest way to go about it is to have your baby in the hospital. But they do recognize that the coronavirus has made it a mighty tempting birth option for more mothers than ever. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, before that, though, I want to send a shout out to my favorite maternal health organization, Every Mother Counts, which was founded by Christy Turlington Burns 10 years ago today. 
I was Every Mother Counts writer for several years, and it seriously it was just about my favorite job ever. I loved working for EMC. Um, EMC is all about reducing maternal mortality globally, including in the United States. And they do that through a number of ways, including educational films and documentaries, grants, uh, and partnerships with people and organizations who are making really important contributions towards uh, making pregnancy and childbirth safe for every mother. I love this organization, and I am so proud of them here at their 10-year mark. They've, you know, created a magnificent organization. So please go check them out at uh, everymothercounts.org. And if you're interested in helping them meet their goals, check out their shop and donate tabs and show them the love, will you? They deserve it. Okay, let's take a real, real quick break here. uh, And then we'll come on back for this week's guest. All right, we're back and we're ready to talk with this week's guest. Dr. Jennifer Verist is a board certified pediatrician who works at Family First Pediatrics in Spring, Texas. She's also a speaker and appears on podcasts. So, of course, I knew she'd be perfect for ours. Let's get Dr. Verist on the line. Dr. Verist, hi, it's Jeannie. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and we're having a really rainy day. And um, where are you? You're in Texas, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm in an area called Spring, Texas. It's a suburb right outside of Houston. Uh, Okay. All right. I've um, been to Houston. I've been to Dallas. I've been to Austin. Okay. um, And each of those places I've been to for about a minute. Well, a couple days. (laughs) So, and I feel like everywhere I go in Texas is very different. Mm -hmm. That's very true. Um, I would say Houston is probably the most diverse area of Texas. Mm -hmm. Um, It has its own feel because of that. Austin has its own feel as well as Dallas. So yeah, they definitely, those major cities definitely have their own personality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you and I have so much to talk about today. Um, I read a little bit of your, your job description or bio right before we got you on the line today. But my first question for everybody is this, who are you and what do you do? Sure. So uh, again, my name is Dr. Jennifer Verist, and I'm a pediatrician. I um, am more than five years outside of residency training now. So, um, so that means that I've had four years of medical school, three years of pediatric training, and I've been practicing um, um, for more than five years outside of that. Um, I initially practiced in my hometown of College Station, Texas, in Aggieland, uh, where Texas A&M University is. And then I recently got married and moved to a practice called Family First Pediatrics. Um, It's a clinic in the spring area. I like to think of myself as a pediatrician who empowers moms and dads to raise their kids to lead happy, healthy lives full of positive memories and discovery. And so I've just made more of an effort outside of the pediatric office to do that. 
how do you do that outside of the pediatric office? Yeah, great question. So things like podcasts, interviews, I've done talks. I'm also very active on social media. Um, I have a Facebook page called Jennifer Varese MD, where I'm always posting educational content, very encouraging content to moms. And every Wednesday I have a live video that I share. I also have um, a Facebook group called Neighborly Moms with an expert best friend, where moms can just share helpful information, especially uh, right now as families are social distancing. It's been helpful to hear what other moms are doing with their families to keep their kids busy. And then every once in a while, as the expert best friend, I share some pediatric um, input. I love that. I'm kind of the labor and delivery expert best friend. We need each other. Yes, we do. We need expert best friends. Yeah, yeah. Women who know what's going on in the healthcare industry and out in the world and with raising kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, empowering parents to raise kids to live happy lives with positive memories. How's that going right now in the age of coronavirus? You know, I am doing what I've always been doing. I've been educating and reassuring, um, you know, and I, I do that even more now. Um, because there's there's always been a lot of information out there, but I've realized um, that as a pediatrician, I also serve as an educator and a filter of information. So I help direct people to um, accurate sites where they can um, make decisions um, for their family based on accurate information and not just out of fear. And so that has really been highlighted in the midst of the pandemic. And really for almost, I guess, the past two months now, a lot of the live videos that I've been doing and the content that I've been pushing out has been coronavirus related. Yeah, yeah, I bet. You know, one thing that it always occurs to me with um, pediatricians is that you guys do two first. It's two patients for the price of one. You have parents and you have children. Now, technically, Mm -hmm. the kids are the patients, but... Your job is to educate both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're communicating with the mom while the, the, the child is our patient. And so really the family is our patient because we have to take into things like family dynamic when we're coming up with the treatment plan. Um, so yeah, like I kind of think of it as the family being our patient. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're kind of a first responder for brand new mothers who are still in the postpartum phase and not really getting much health care of their own. Yes. Yeah, we are. And um, so like in this um, stage with the pandemic, we, you know, are still offering our prenatal visits, but we're doing them via telemedicine. And um, I'm pushing some content out there for uh, expectant moms um, and how to find a pediatrician in the midst of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you're in the middle of a huge cultural shift in how healthcare is delivered. I mean, previously, yep. <laughs> telemedicine was kind of an elite thing for yes. only certain people. So this is. You're a pioneer here. I feel Tell me about like, it a little bit. yeah, I feel like this um, pandemic is really changing the way that a lot of industries 
work or at least opening their uh, eyes to some possibility. And that's um, the sort of, a I feel like a, one of the silver linings in this pandemic is as we've gone virtual, um, we've just noticed um, that there are some conveniences associated with that that we weren't aware of before. But uh, our clinic has, you know, telemedicine has been an option even before the pandemic. But the fact that insurance is now covering visits fully to the same level that they would if the patient came in makes a huge difference in how many more pediatricians are interested in implementing telemedicine now. And so in our practice, we've implemented telemedicine without sacrificing standard of care, which means that there are only certain conditions that we feel qualify. We would still be providing that same level of standard of care if we did a telemedicine visit. Um, things like rashes or maybe pink eye, diarrhea, maybe a cold without any fever, but other things, you know, still require an in-office visit. Yeah, yeah. So every appointment, the healthcare provider puts that stethoscope on the heart, lungs, and tummy. Mm-hmm. Somehow you're managing to provide really good patient care without doing that, without actually putting your your eyes, ears, and stethoscope and hands right on the patient. How do you how do you like that? So that's why only certain conditions will qualify as a telemedicine visit for our office. I cannot mm-hmm. speak for some other uh, institutions that are implementing it in other ways. We kind of um, are getting actually um, the repercussions of people or institutions applying telemedicine in a way that is substandard of care. But in our office, things that um, maybe we wouldn't have to listen to the heart with to di- necessarily diagnose, like maybe like a skin infection, you know, mm-hmm. we can, even if they came into the office, we would be looking at their skin and seeing the degree of uh, redness, if there's any, you know, crusting or any signs that the child needs Um, you know, an antibiotic. And we can see that via screen. Um, Pink eye is another example. And um, so we, um, not at every single visit do we listen to the heart and listen to the lungs. And, you know, if it is a condition like maybe a fever and cough, um, they would need to be seen, obviously, in person. That you cannot give, you know, standard of care via telemedicine and someone who has um, like a fever and cough. There's so many other things that need to be evaluated in person. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that I've been talking a lot about over the last several weeks is or are the kind of silver linings that we're seeing, you know, both at home, in our communities, in the world at large, from everybody um, hunkering down. And I think that it may have been easier to see some of those silver linings earlier on before the economic, uh, you know, impact. I mean, we're like six weeks in now Mm -hmm. and it's taking a huge, huge toll on people. Yeah. You know, but, you know, as the parent of adult kids, many of whom are hunkered down here at my house, I'm kind of loving having the kids at home. You know, they're, they're adults and mm-hmm. um, they're young adults and they turned out great and they do the grocery shopping and a lot of the cooking and 
they're doing interesting work right here in the house. And it's kind of like I get to see all the benefits of the work that I put in for all those years. Oh, good. Um, so that's my personal silver lining. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about your mission to help parents, you know, encourage positive memories. And one of the things that's happening is that, you know, we're just, we're eating together and we're laughing about all kinds of memories that they have about growing up. Um, and they're almost never the really big things. They're not, you know, yeah, sure. They remember the trip to Disneyland, but what they're really, um, the memories that are most important to them are things like how we read Harry Potter books allowed by the fire on camping trips or, you know, just little things that, Mm -hmm. um, like they were remembering how we used to take snacks to the beach that were so much better than the snacks we had at home. And, oh my God, that was such a huge memory. So what's that about? Let's talk about memory building. Yeah, I agree um, that as this pandemic has continued and people are practicing social distancing, it um, has, you know, really affected the economy more and more. And I want to preface this by just recognizing that, like, everybody is in a different place when it comes Mm -hmm. to social distancing in this pandemic. Some people, Mm -hmm. you know, are really appreciating the time off they have right now. Some people are treating it like a vacation and other people are really suffering financially and may not, you know, be able to return to the same quality of life they had before this all started. Um, And so I do want to recognize that. Um, And so some of these silver linings that I share, you know, they may not apply to everyone. And I I do recognize that. Um, But um, as a pediatrician, I kind of want to highlight these because they um, emphasize you know, time with family and, and time with our kids. Um, and so one of them, you know, obviously is the chance to bring the family together. Um, if you have a teenager, they have probably been before spending a lot of time at school and then after school activities and then like hanging out with friends on the weekend. And you probably, you hardly ever see them. And, you know, when they are there, they may not be talking to you very much. They just kind of right. uh, hide themselves <laughs> up in their room. Um, and so this is a chance now, um, now that things have slowed down, we're not in a rush to be getting ready for all of these activities that need to be driven to. And um, we're at home with our families. It's time to just kind of appreciate each other and appreciate each other's uh, presence Um, And in doing so, it um, allows us to focus on priorities and new routines. And so I have been encouraging uh, parents and families to um, not let this precious time go to waste and just, you know, allow our teens or our kids to just sleep in every day and just take a break for weeks and weeks and weeks, just waiting for things to get back to normal. Um, when we realized that school was likely going to be closed for the rest of this semester, um, we had a discussion about developing new routines and developing a new normal. So basically having the family come to the table together and having a meeting where everybody had some input all the way from you know the young child to the older teen and the mom and dad where the family was agreeing on what the new priorities would be when it comes to maybe housework 
or educational goals or maybe like fitness goals or activity goals and, um, you know, getting input from the children as well and coming up with the new schedule that addresses those new priorities so that everybody is on the same team when it comes to meeting these goals. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, so that's a silver lining because we have an opportunity now to create routines that can help us meet goals. And these routines can be continued to be practiced even after the pandemic and social distancing has phased out. Um, and so, yeah, that's another civil, silver lining. We can focus on our teens getting better sleep, uh, getting the actual nine to 10 hours per night that is um, recommended. Um, and then there's also a chance for more gratitude. Uh, when we're uh, reminded every day of the possibility of death, it helps us have a greater appreciation for the things that we may have initially previously taken for granted. And that applies to everybody. Anyone who's yeah. breathing can be appreciative <laughs> of their health. And so, um, yeah, so those are um, the silver linings that I've just been reflecting on when it comes to parents and families. Those are pretty good ones. I like the part about, you know, families just get to kind of hang out. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be so goal oriented, you know, like, oh, we've got to, we've got to hit all these targets. We've got to go to all these events. We've got to take all these tests. We've got to study, get, you know, go, 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 go. Mm -hmm. we're, we're hanging out. Yeah. There's a, yeah. And enjoying each other's company. Um, what about families that uh, are, they're, the parents are, you know, frontline responders, they're mm -hmm. grocers and nurses and doctors and they're truck drivers. And they're the people that are you know, making the world run right now. Mm -hmm. What's it like for them and for their children? Oh man. So I am, um, as a newlywed, you know, um, been married for about a year now. Um, we don't have any children yet. And so I cannot, I'm going to just go ahead and, you know, share that disclaimer. <laughs> I cannot speak for yeah. myself, but I can speak from my friends and what they've been going through um, with their children. And it's, it makes you cry. I like it's a, it breaks my heart um, because clearly their children, children are old enough to understand what's going on and to understand the, uh, the threat that their parents are exposed to, especially if they're working in the medical field, in an emergency mm -hmm. room or in the hospital every day, because they're mm -hmm. wise enough to put two and two together. Like if I'm not going to school anymore because this virus is so bad, you know, why is mommy still going to the hospital where there are sick people that have this virus? And so, um, yes, it's tough. Um, and it's a tough conversation to have, um, one way to start that conversation <clears throat> is by first addressing the anxiety that you have yourself, um, because you want to start, have this conversation with your child, um, with the goal of, um, encouraging them and reassuring them and maybe even empowering them. Um, but you cannot do that if you haven't yet addressed anxiety that you have yourself because children can see right through that. Um, yeah. so address their anxiety 
in a safe and effective manner to the point where you can reassure from a very calm state and say, you know what? We have to fight this virus together. Mommy is, you know, going to the hospital to treat sick people just like she always has. I'm, you know, taking uh, protective measures into account or washing your hands and putting masks on. One way that you can help me is by washing your hands, you know, and singing the birthday song. And anytime you cough or sneeze, cover your mouth with a tissue. If you don't have a tissue, use the crease of your elbow. And we're going to, you know, clean the counters and clean the doorknobs. That's how you can help mommy fight this virus. And um, also reinforcing, you know, why we're not having play dates and not going to the playground and everything. But that's meant to empower your child. So that way they can help. They're not rendered hopeless while mommy goes to work and gets exposed. They're sort of on a mission with you. And um, also letting your child know that you're always there if they want to talk to you about anything or if they have any questions. And it's okay if they say that they're scared. You want to acknowledge that fear and say it's okay to be scared. But thankfully, we know what we can do to fight this. We can fight this virus. We can do it. This is what we do to fight this virus. So immediately after acknowledging the fear, we are empowering them with the tools that they can do to fight. Great. So what are you seeing in terms of the coronavirus? Are you seeing patients? So in our pediatric clinic, um, it's outpatient, strictly outpatient. Um, it has been a little slower than normal, um, so the numbers are a little lower, but we are uh, separating our well visits from sick. So in the mornings, we only see well patients, um, so that way all of those babies that are coming in for their vaccinations and those kids who are well are not being exposed to anyone who has any symptoms. Um, and then in the afternoon, uh, we see our sick visits. Now. Being around Houston, um, there is lots of opportunity for screening or for testing now. And if there, oh, nice. yeah, we're thankful for that. So if there are um, cases where there's a very strong suspicion that this patient could be positive, we actually have referred them to a testing site. Um, and so we have taken protective measures into account when we kind of have a, um, a screening process into which sick patients we actually see inside the clinic, which we actually allow in the clinic. And then we've, you know, offered the option of telemedicine visits for the conditions that qualify for that. Our staff are um, using personal protective equipment, um, so we're thankful for that. And we've always um, cleaned the office and wiped the countertops and doorknobs, but we're continuing to do that at an even more frequent effort. Um, at a higher frequency than we were um, before. And we're also making sure that no one actually has to spend significant time in the waiting room. We're getting, as they come in, they are getting roomed immediately. Um, and so we have, you know, taken several options um, and put the, we have taken and um, implemented um, several um, changes in the clinic in response to this pandemic. But thankfully, as far as we know, we haven't had any 
<clears throat> positive cases yet. Um, and as a outpatient pediatrician, I am on the front line, but thankfully I haven't knowingly had to care for any positive patients. Those are really being reserved for the hospitals. Hmm. So you are seeing lots and lots of kids who are being homeschooled mm-hmm. and, you know, by probably primarily stressed out working parents with limited teaching skills. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering how are kids doing with this? Are they stressed? Are they happy? Do they love this? What, what mm-hmm. What's going on for the kids that you're seeing? So, um, Parents who have been homeschooling already have a system in place and, you know, this hasn't really affected them too much because they were previously homeschooling. But the mm-hmm. kids who were public were in public school and those ISDs had to trans- transition to an online learning system, they're mm-hmm. struggling a bit <clears throat> because it's new for everybody. It's new for the teachers. It's new for the parents. It's new for the kids. And um, what the concession has been is basically this is what we call crisis learning. So the standard is not the same as when the child was, um, you know, actually attending school, like attending the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's there has been a lax like they're more relaxed about assignments. Think kids have like a week to complete assignments. It was a few weeks after the online learning system was implemented where like a grading system was put in place where the assignments actually started getting graded. So um, like even as we are approaching May, um, teachers are just now getting the hang of the system as well as um, parents. And uh, a lot of kids, especially those in like elementary, middle school, from what I'm hearing, are um, they're thankful for the break. (laughs) They've been using that time to do other things. Um, But um, yeah, this has really been considered crisis learning. Um, So really just trying to get through it, but definitely not the same level of expectation as when the child was actually attending the classroom setting. Yeah. And, and in this crisis, it seems like a really good opportunity to teach kids stuff they so actually need to like... know in life. Like you can go a long way without ever using calculus, but <laughs> you, you can't go very far at all without knowing how to balance your, your checking account or Absolutely. cook your dinner or, you know, get a stain out or, clean your house so that you don't get a disease or plant a garden, you know, practical, Mm -hmm. practical stuff that has kind of been culturally devalued. Don't you think? I agree completely. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So it's a chance. It's a chance for, for parents to kind of grab the curriculum themselves and decide, okay, what does my kid really need to know to be happy and healthy in the world? Yeah, and that kind of goes into uh, what I mentioned earlier about kind of having that family meeting and setting your own priorities. Um, Yeah. Because uh, 
you know, different households are going to have different priorities. Mom may have some things that have to get done around the house or in the backyard, and the kids can help with that. They're here, they're capable. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. I have um, heard of moms who are, she's like, yeah, they, they have shared how, yeah, in this quarantine, I have taught my child how to uh, balance the checkbook. Um, yeah. Other children are learning how to pull the weeds in the backyard. Older son is uh, cutting the grass. Um, yeah, definitely. Lots of things that can be learned even now um, uh, during while social distancing that is not, you know, learned in the classroom. Right. And really practical stuff. I have, there's a family that I know where um, their 14 year old boy has taken over doing weeknight dinners, saving weekends for the parents, but um, he's doing Monday through Friday dinners. And it's not just, you know, craft mac and cheese or something like that. He's making real food and doing a good job of it. And it turns, I know, and it turns out that their 10 year old, who is a bit of a math whiz, um, was really great at helping the um, mom in this family do her taxes. He was really interested in, in this and they sat down together and she went through, I don't know, it was probably TurboTax or something. And, uh, yeah, he totally got it. He was like a, a tax savant. It was great. And what a practical, what a practical and useful skill to have. I mean, right. like that yeah. teaches him not just how to manage taxes, but how to manage his finances and like the effect of how different purchases can affect taxes and how, um, you know, that, that that system works in this country. Like that teaches him so many different things that are really practical. Yeah, yeah. I know it's great, and and it's an opportunity mm-hmm. for for parent, you know, like we were talking about earlier, to kind of grab the curriculum and the priorities and mm-hmm. and change how we're doing things. Yeah. So, in some households, though, things aren't going that well, and you know, we're we're starting to have the national conversation about um, abuse, neglect, and domestic violence, and how mm-hmm. you know people may be hunkered down with their abusers or Mm -hmm. in homes where they're seeing a lot of violence. And I'm wondering if you have any comments or advice about that. Yes. So unfortunately, uh, this pandemic has created one of those perfect storms that um, creates an environment that increases uh, incidents of uh, domestic violence and child abuse. Um, The fact that People are indoors, businesses are closed, which means that people have lost jobs and um, income streams, you know, income has diminished. And um, so that increases the stress level for parents and caregivers. And so, yeah, that's that's a perfect storm for increased incidence of abuse. And so um, I just want to share that all of the resources are still out there. Um, as a pediatrician, uh, we are uh, we often serve as a front line for this. And um, if you contact us, we can direct you to where you need to go. I'm always screening for that at every pediatric visit. Um, just kind of watching for any 
physical signs of abuse. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, that is definitely a reality because the conditions are, you know, aligned for that. Mm -hmm. They really are. Yeah. Yeah. I'm concerned about it. I'm really worried about it because I know that in a lot of circumstances um, that, you know, the kids and the parent who is not being abused um, may know about the resources, but since the abuser is there in the house with them all the time, they don't mm -hmm. have the opportunity to utilize those services. You know, mm -hmm. they can't, they can't get away. It's yes. Yeah. yeah. I know that so that's, that's, a, that's, go ahead. That's one of the reasons, uh, why as pediatricians, we often end up being on the front line because, um, you know, the, the mom can bring the child for a well visit, uh, can bring them in for their vaccines, and um, mm -hmm. we, we, we learn about it. We're also taught to kind of ask questions, um, kind of look for signs of possible, uh, you know, uh, abuse and, um, and maybe even sexual trafficking, just like at every visit, kind of watch the behavior of the individuals and how they interact so that we can be prompted to ask certain questions. Um, yeah. But I, I do want everyone out there listening to, to know that we as pediatricians and other primary care providers um, were meant to help you with that. And um, if you ever are able or in a situation where the abuser is not with you and you're at an appointment, um, you know, please share that with us so that we can help you um, because that's, it's in our um, job. That's part of our job description. We're, we're yeah. looking for those people so that we can steer them in a um, direction that can bring them to a better place. Right. You guys have the resources and you have the opportunity to have conversations that may not be monitored. It's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you have a really tough job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, I remember I, I, I keep thinking about, you know, families with young kids and about how stressed they are and, how most parents are trying to do a really, really good job with this. And I keep coming back to the um, Maya Angelou quote about how people may not remember what you said or did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And that somehow just seems like, you know, your kids in 10, 15, 20 years are not going to look back on this time and say, dang, I just nailed it with my academics. You know, yeah. I did so great that year and getting all A's. What they're going to remember is the overall feeling in the household. And yeah. did their parents make them feel safe or not safe? Did they feel like this was a warm, cozy time, a family togetherness, or was this just alienating? Yeah. And yeah. that's why it's so important when we... Um initiate that conversation with their children about coronavirus that we serve as gatekeepers for the family because there is a lot of negative content out there, not just on the media, but from other people that they could be talking to. And you want to sure. set the tone for your household. You want it to, um, the tone for your household to be positive and empowering. 
And so when you make yourself available to your child um, so they can share with you what they've been hearing Mm -hmm. and share with you some of their fears that they know that they have, um, that they, they can depend on you and they have always that confidence where they can come to you that gives them a sense of security and then um, emphasizing what they can do to empower them and emphasizing a positive tone in the household. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, because mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Um, children uh, may not remember like every individual detail, but they remember how they felt. And as a gatekeeper, you can you can manipulate that and, and you can control that for your household and your family. Yeah, they remember the snacks at the beach. Yes. <laughs> yes, because they felt wonderful eating those snacks at the beach. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I want to shift gears a little bit since I've got a pediatrician on the line. And I want to talk about the American Pediatrics Association's um, statement. I think it was just this week about mm-hmm. home birth. And they've never been publicly huge supporters of home birth, but um, they do seem to be recognizing right now that people don't necessarily want to go to a hospital to have their babies, especially since in many cases, um, there's big concern about mothers and babies being separated to keep babies in the nursery, um, limiting who can be with mom while she has her baby. And, um, you know, I don't know if that's such a big thing in Spring, Texas, where you're practicing. But I was talking with um, Kimberly Seals Allers a few weeks back, and it's a huge crisis in New York City and mm-hmm. other huge metropolitan areas. So let's talk a little bit about, about the new guidelines and um, this shift in perspective. Yeah. So um, the American Academy of Pediatrics still does not recommend um planned home births. Um, They say that hospitals and accredited birth centers are still the safest um, places to have your baby, but they are recognizing uh, the concerns that you mentioned and why some women are choosing that as an option. And so because the goal of the AAP is, you know, to um, promote health and informed decisions rather than just abandoning those women, 